0: Making sure a business thrives is challenging, but sometimes the solution can lie right in the numbers, Uh, specifically 37,000, 25, and 1. Now, these aren't just figures. They're a gateway to more visibility and decisive control in your business. Let's start with 37,000. That's the amount of businesses who've embraced NetSuite by Oracle, the ultimate cloud financial system revolutionizing accounting, financial management, HR, and beyond. And 25? That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do everything from accelerating financial closures to slashing operational costs. And every business is unique, making yours the one that matters. NetSuite offers tailored solutions to amplify your key performance indicators, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Ready to optimize? Download NetSuite's coveted KPI checklist, engineered to elevate your performance consistently, absolutely free. Visit NetSuite.com slash CBS now. That's NetSuite.com slash CBS.
1: Good morning, I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. Unless you made a deliberate effort to avoid it, there's a very good chance your breakfast included a GMO, a genetically modified organism. Whether engineered foods are good or bad is the subject of a heated debate, as Barry Peterson will report in our Sunday Morning cover story. Then it's on to an authentic action hero, a man whose superpower takes the form of an unlimited imagination. He'll be talking with our Lee Cowan.
2: In the world of comic book superheroes, it's a 93-year-old man of slight build who stands out as the real hero, Stan Lee.
3: When I go to these comic book conventions, very often a middle-aged man will have his son with him and he'll say, I read your stories growing up and now my son is enjoying them. I can't tell you how gratifying
2: that is. The master of Marvel, near mortal or was he hit with cosmic rays? Ahead on Sunday morning.
1: We'll be taking a cake walk this morning in some very unusual company. Martha Teissner will be our guide.
4: <laughs> you see some pretty unusual groups of tourists in New York City, but this posse in pink takes the cake, literally.
5: Beautiful, guy
0: the big apple. Mm. Mm.
4: What is it about cake and cookie decorators?
0: I've never met a sane cake decorator. They are all crazy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah.
4: What crazy Australian cake decorators do in The Big Apple later this Sunday morning.
1: Leslie Caron is an actress who first charmed American audiences well over half a century ago. Despite all her success, she hasn't forgotten where she came from, as she tells Jane Pauley in our Sunday Profile.
6: Leslie Caron was just 19 when Jean Kelly whisked her away from post-war France to star in An American in Paris. Then suddenly you're in
7: Hollywood. The steaks overflowed on the pledge. <laughs>
6: I thought there's enough food for a week. Is it true that once for dessert you ordered another steak? Yes, <laughs> that is true. Later on Sunday morning, the legendary Leslie Caron
1: Ode to Joy is a story from Bill Geist about the woman behind a new movie and a very successful mop
0: Joy has never run a business There's nothing like it out there
8: Jennifer Lawrence captured a Golden Globe Award and an Oscar nomination this past week for playing the real life single mom who invented the miracle mop In the movie Joy.
9: This is the only idea that I have right now. And I think it has a chance to change all of our lives.
8: It doesn't sound like a recipe for Hollywood success. But it is. Ahead on Sunday morning. With Alan Pizzi,
1: we'll visit a musical monastery in Italy. Steve Hartman has an emotional tale of police loyalty. Bill Flanagan remembers David
9: Bowie.
1: Next, Coming Home.
9: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: Five Americans held by Iran have been freed. Four were part of a prisoner swap in which the United States released seven detained Iranians. It happened yesterday just before the Iran nuclear accord took effect. Elizabeth Palmer and Charlie Daggett are covering these weekend developments. We begin with Charlie Daggett.
5: A prisoner swap was never part of the nuclear deal, but Secretary of State John Kerry said here it helped speed things up.
1: Iran has undertaken significant steps that many, and I do mean many, people doubted would ever come to
5: pass. The international nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, announced it was satisfied that Iran had taken those steps to disable its nuclear program. After three decades of economic isolation, the deal means Iran is now allowed to sell oil on the open market. The country can reconnect with the international banking system and begin to recoup roughly $100 billion in frozen assets around the globe. Today, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani called the deal a golden page in Iran's history. But political battles remain over the uneasy relationship between two countries that have been sworn adversaries for decades. The deal includes a snapback mechanism, meaning sanctions can be quickly reimposed if Iran fails to comply. The most sanctioned country in the world has now become the most closely watched. For Sunday morning, I'm Charlie Daggett in Vienna.
4: This is Elizabeth Palmer outside the American Military Hospital in Landstuhl, Germany. We believe this is the destination for the four American former prisoners once they set foot. On European soil. The facility has a long history of receiving Americans who were either taken prisoner or hostage abroad and the expertise is here to give them a full psychological and physical overview before they carry on home. It's also a place where they can spend some peaceful time with family and friends and decompress before they face what is sure to be a media onslaught in the United States.
1: Still to come, one of the greats Leslie Caron.
4: I prefer
7: looking at ladies who have experience and wits. Why can't you be one of those? I am going to be.
10: And
1: a postcard from Norcia.
10: <laughs>
1: and now a page from our Sunday morning almanac, January 17th, 1880. 136 years ago today. The birthday of silent film pioneer Max Sennett. A bit player and director in Hollywood's early days, Sennett launched his own studio in 1912, the Keystone Film Company. Nobody's idea of an art film studio. Keystone specialized in slapstick comedies. Sennett's 1913 film, Bangville Police, Plays the trail for the famed Keystone Cops, bungling officers who starred in a series of short films. And yes, that officer with the mustache in the 1914 film A Thief Catcher? That's Charlie Chaplin. Many other stars of the silent era were on the Keystone roster, including Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle and Mabel Normand, seen here as newlyweds in the 1916 film Fatty and Mabel Adrift. Unfortunately for Senate, once his stars became big names, he lost them to other studios. And over time, he also lost his audience as they grew tired of his formulaic slapstick. Broke by the 1930s, Senate was not entirely forgotten. In 1938, he was awarded a special Oscar, honoring him as... Master of fun, the discoverer of stars. Max Sennett died in 1960 at the age of 80, but the studio complex he built lives on. You may recognize its current occupant. Up next, GMOs. Yes or no?
9: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: By some estimates, 80% of all processed foods, cereals, baby formulas, canned soups, and more contain at least one GMO, a genetically modified organism. But whether GMOs are safe and whether they should be listed on the label has led to a very big food fight.
11: Our cover story is from Barry Peterson. Dalen Perry's papaya farm on the Big Island of Hawaii may be a bit off the beaten path, but it's smack in the middle of a worldwide debate about one of life's essentials, the very food we eat. His papayas, like almost all those now grown on the Big Island, are GMOs, Genetically Modified Organisms. I'm sure their first question is, is it safe? We say,
12: of course. <laughs> I've been eating it. My kids have been eating it for 20 years now.
11: 20 years ago, the big island papaya industry had been thriving. Growers were shipping 60 million pounds of papayas a year. But then insects began spreading a devastating virus called ring spot to nearly every papaya tree on the island. In about three years, the trees were dead. Fields were barren. The industry literally wiped out. But a Hawaiian-born plant pathologist, Dennis Gonzalez, then a professor at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, came to the rescue.
1: So we had a technology that could help uh, develop a virus-resistant papaya.
11: Gonzalez and a team of scientists pulled off a remarkable feat of genetic engineering. They took a DNA strand from the destructive papaya virus and inserted it into the DNA of a papaya seed. Just as with a vaccine for a human, the papayas became immune to ring-spot. One of the final field tests was on Dalen Perry's farm in 1997. In these photos, you can see the dead and diseased trees surrounding the healthy, genetically engineered trees.
1: And uh, it grew beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And even to this day, there has been no breakdown of resistance.
11: Today, American farmers grow about 10 different GMO crops, including more than 92% of all corn and soy. Most are engineered to ward off insects or to resist weed-killing herbicides, or both. That means farmers can dramatically reduce insecticide use. And when they spray for weeds, the herbicide won't kill their crops. And most of us eat GMOs every day in processed foods like soda, cereal, chips and cheese. And in November, salmon joined the list. It's genetically engineered to grow faster. And there are more foods in the pipeline, among them a peanut, without the toxin that triggers deadly allergies. Cassavas and bananas, the main source of food for hundreds of millions of Africans that would become immune to diseases now decimating those crops. So, given all that, why are so many people so opposed to GMOs?
13: As a mother and a scientist who's been looking at these issues for some decades, I am increasingly concerned at the ways in which corporations have gained more and more control and influence over our food system.
11: Marsha Ishi Iteman is a senior scientist at the Pesticide Action Network.
13: Genetically engineered seeds are responsible for an enormous increase in the use of pesticides, primarily herbicides, weed killers. People have a healthy skepticism to corporations telling us that their products are perfectly safe. We've seen that with DDT and tobacco, for example.
11: A lot of the opposition to GMOs is directed at the world's largest seed company, Monsanto. Ishii Iteman says she is troubled that when farmers buy herbicide-resistant GMO seeds from Monsanto, they are locked into using large quantities of Monsanto-produced herbicide as well. And there's something else. Farmers who buy Monsanto's patented GMO seeds must sign an agreement promising that they will use them for only one harvest or be sued. Farmers have done this since the beginning of farming they raise their crops and they save their seeds and they plant them the next year. So why push farmers not to replant seeds that are patented by Monsanto from this year to next year?
2: We spend a billion and a half dollars a year on research
11: and development, and there needs to be some way of seeing a return on that. Hugh Grant is the CEO of Monsanto. He says if farmers wanna take their business elsewhere, they have plenty of options. The grower has very little
2: loyalty. They're looking for the best possible seed that produces the best possible crop.
11: But those crops are getting harder to sell as consumers say they don't want GMOs in their food.
2: I
0: want to say no to GMO and yes to healthy food. We have no idea what potential health complications arise of eating
9: diets that are rich in GMOs.
11: What uh-huh. okay. And some companies are reacting. Chipotle, Hershey, and Whole Foods have or will soon either ban or require the labeling of all GMOs. The big question is, is all this fear justified?
13: Researchers are only just beginning to investigate the myriad of potential adverse health effects like what? from GMOs. The issue is that we don't have long-term independent studies to be able to answer these questions fully.
11: And this is the Great Divide. Polls show 57% of Americans think GMOs are unsafe to eat. But consider this, 88% of scientists say GMOs are safe. And prestigious scientific organizations, among them the American Medical Association, the World Health Organization, and the National Academy of Sciences, all say hundreds of peer-reviewed studies confirm GMOs pose no danger to health.
14: We're looking at genes that make the plants tolerant of flooding, we're also interested in drought.
11: Pam Ronald is a plant geneticist at the University of California, Davis. Her husband is a certified organic farmer. Has any study shown, even as much as one person, who's been harmed or died from eating food that was genetically engineered.
14: There's not a single instance of harm to human health or the environment using genetically engineered crops.
11: Ronald points out that farmers have been genetically altering food for thousands of years using techniques like grafting, hybridization, and crossbreeding. Look at corn, for example.
14: This is modern sweet corn this is the ancient ancestor of modern corn this corn produces a hundredfold more grain than the ancient ancestor which is not used anymore well nothing we eat has been engineered by nature everything we eat has been genetically altered using human intervention
11: still the vast majority of americans say gmos are different and should be clearly labeled
14: Since the the foods
13: are not labeled, we have no way to to really ascertain what are the kinds of impacts that our people are having who are consuming GMOs and those who are not. Americans have a right to know what's in our food and a right to know how it's been grown.
11: And Ishii Itamin has an unlikely ally, the CEO of Monsanto. We've been for voluntary labeling for, for quite some time. I'm surprised, because I would think that if there's one company that didn't want people that have GMO on a label when they walk through a grocery store, it would be Monsanto. If we're going to be transparent with this, we should really open it up. To me, that makes sense. What no one disputes is this. The controversy over GMOs is creating an ever-lengthening approval process in countries around the world. Take vitamin-enriched golden rice, which could help 250 million children who have a sometimes fatal vitamin A deficiency.
14: We absolutely have to have food that's safe. But what's been put into the golden rice is a pigment we should eat every day in carrots. And as we impose additional regulatory hurdles that are not placed on other crops, many children are dying every day.
11: Faced with increasing anti-GMO public opinion, The push to ban them is accelerating in rich countries where there is so much food that obesity is a major health issue. Yet, their biggest impact could one day be in the increasingly hungry third world. A lesson not lost on Dennis Gonsalve, the man whose genetic engineering saved Hawaii's papaya all those years ago.
1: We in the United States, we're rich, we have a lot of food, no problem. A lot of these people in these other countries don't have much food. And and that to me, I think, is really harming the people most in need. Ahead, music at the monastery.
9: play it, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it It
1: It took several hundred years but an American has finally brought music back to a sacred place in Italy. Alan Pizzi has sent us this postcard from (laughs) Noccia.
12: For more than 800 years, the sound of Gregorian chants filled the valley and town of Norcia, birthplace of Saint Benedict, the founder of Western monasticism. Or at least it did until 1810, when the Benedictine order was suppressed under the new Napoleonic code of law, and the piazza and 9th century basilica went silent. It stayed that way for 200 years, until an American monk arrived. You started out as a normal person, as it were. A normal person.
15: <laughs> well, my first contact with the monastery, I was 19. I didn't enter until I was
10: 24.
12: Father Cassian Folsom grew up in Connecticut. His passion was music, and he studied at the Venerable Voice Program at the Indiana University School of Music, until he had what he calls a conversion experience.
15: I wanted something different and something more, and that's what drew me to the monastery.
12: As a monk, he had to shed the trappings of his former life, nearly everything. One thing he hung on to was music.
15: Because the prayer in the monastery is always sung, my music training was very beneficial.
12: Father Cassian came to Norcia in 2000 and, starting with just two other monks, formed a choir. After two centuries, music once again filled the valley. The choir grew to 16 monks, half of them Americans. A few years ago, they recorded some of their chants to share with friends and neighbours. And then a funny thing happened. A record label came calling, wanting to produce an album.
15: We were asked to do it by De Montfort Music. They were keen on it, and we were a bit reluctant because we had so many other things to do. But finally, uh, we we, uh, were able to figure out how to pull it off in terms of our monastic
12: schedule. (laughs) Cutting the album meant cutting into a day that is regulated by work and devotion. The monks pray eight times a day, starting at 3.45 in the morning. So sound engineers, more used to working with rock stars whose schedules can be chaotic to say the least, had to fit in time between the prayers.
15: Just so you know for the timing,
12: yes, um, we have 20, say 25 minutes of music still to record, okay. The studio was the basilica itself and the job took a mere two and a half days. It was a learning experience for both sides, one which choirmaster Father Basil Nixon found challenging.
15: But in the end, we're always trying to please God when we sing, so pleasing other people is easier if you're trying to please the most important
12: person. And please people they did. Well, not quite a miracle, the album the monks were persuaded to cut hit number one on the classical billboard chart. Were you surprised at the success?
15: I had no idea what to expect. It is rather remarkable. Uh, but it shows that there's something in the music that attracts people across a huge spectrum, Um, and that something I think is is a desire for what people today call spirituality, for something more than the everyday uh, lives that they lead. It takes them out of themselves, I think, uh, because of its beauty and its maybe ethereal quality. It has a physical calming effect uh, even on the monks.
12: It takes four years to become a Benedictine monk, not least because giving up everything for a life of prayer, work, and no luxuries is a serious decision. The album cover art shows the quintessential image of a monk, one who thought that when he entered the order, he was leaving the world for a life of anonymity.
10: Fifteen years later, it turns out that um, I am uncomfortably noticeable.
12: (laughs) Even so, Connecticut born Father Benedict Nivikov figured the album would have less than limited appeal. But uh, music can get where words often can. As for dreams of turning out another number one album in the future, the monks are anything but starstruck. Glory. So, you are the kind of people who can honestly say, Success won't change me.
15: We sure hope not. <laughs> That's the whole point of our lives. We didn't come here to be successful, we came here to seek God. <laughs>
1: cakewalk is coming up We first meet Stan Lee a real action hero long before Spider-Man was an action hero on the silver screen he was a star on the pages of Marvel Comics he owes his existence to a man named Stan Lee who talks now with our Lee Cowan
3: I wanted to be Errol Flynn. He was your superhero? Oh yeah. I would leave the theater and I had an imaginary sword at my side and I'd be looking for some girl that some bully was picking on so I could run to her rescue. Did you save some girls? No, I never found that girl and I probably would have gotten beaten <laughs> up anyway. Or arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
2: Stanley might not have become Robin Hood but he certainly achieved superhero status.
3: Let me congratulate you on having the good sense and the good taste
10: to be here.
2: At 93, he's as famous as his characters, regarded by comic book fans and convention goers worldwide as one of the architects of 20th century mythology. He's basically responsible for my childhood. How are you doing?
9: Great, damn man.
2: Do you feel like a rock
3: star? Sometimes they make me feel that way. You know, when they say, can you take a picture with me or shake my hand or something? It's a great feeling that people really
2: care that much. It is. Name a superhero, name a superpower, and chances are Stan Lee helped dream them up. The list is long. From Spider-Man to Iron Man, from the Hulk to Thor. The X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, all his in some capacity. He's essentially the god of the Marvel Universe. Did you ever worry you were going to run out of characters or run out of superpowers? No,
3: no, that never really occurred to me. Uh, it was too much fun doing them.
2: He didn't do it alone. While the characters and the storylines were mostly stands, they were co-created with the help of his graphic artists, like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko who sketched out Stan's wild ideas in vivid detail.
3: All of these artists made my stories look better than they were. Hey, hello there.
2: Here you go. Oh, there. Perhaps not surprisingly, Stan's story has just been put into comic book form, too. What is that? <laughs> a memoir, the way only Marvel's master could deliver, published by Simon & Schuster, a division of CBS.
3: I figured I've done everything else as a graphic novel. Why not my life? That's fine with me.
2: The comic starts out as Stan started out, as Stanley Martin Lieber, born to Jewish immigrants in 1922. He grew up poor in a tiny Bronx apartment during the Depression. When Stan was old enough, he started looking for jobs to help pay the bills. And in 1939, he landed at a publishing house, which just happened to have a small division called Timely Comics.
3: I'd fill the inkwells. In those days, they used ink. I'd run down and get them sandwiches at the drugstore, and I'd proofread the pages. And sometimes in proofreading, I'd say, you know, this sentence doesn't sound right. It ought to be written like this. Well, go ahead and change it. They didn't care.
2: (laughs) Characters like Destroyer, Father Time, and Jack Frost soon had Stan's fingerprints all over them. He got so caught up in the battles of good versus evil that after Pearl Harbor, It seemed only natural he'd join the army. Oh,
3: hell, how can you not volunteer for the army? Hitler was over there doing all those horrible
2: things. But instead of fighting, Stan found himself drawing. His best work? A poster telling soldiers how not to get V.D.
3: I drew a little soldier very proudly, and he's saying, V.D., not me, as he walks in. (laughs) They must have printed a hundred trillion of those. I think I won the war single-handedly with that poster.
2: (laughs) By the time the 60s rolled around, Timely Comics had become Marvel Comics, and Stan realized he could do more than just entertain. His characters could also offer social commentary. And He didn't shy away from... The issues of the day, I mean, you took on war, you took on race relations, you took on drug abuse. I tried everything that people were thinking of, that I was thinking
3: of, that was concerning people at the time.
2: His superheroes had flaws. They argued among themselves. They had hang-ups. All key ingredients that went into his most famous character of all, Spider-Man.
3: I saw a fly crawling on a wall, and I said, gee, what if a guy could stick to walls like an insect? that sounds good so i started trying to think of some names insect man nah (laughs) mosquito man (laughs) and then i got the spider man and spider man oh that sounds dramatic and if he has spider power he can shoot a web also and he can swing oh man then i figured i'd make him a teenager and i figured i'd do the unthinkable i'd give him personal problems i ran into my publisher I said, have I got an idea for you? His name is Spider-Man. I couldn't get any further. He said, Stan, that is the worst idea I have ever
2: heard. The rest, of course, is the stuff of comic book lore. Spider-Man led what became known as the Marvel Revolution. And then there's those Marvel movies. You
3: know, I guess one person can make a difference.
2: Enough said. Stan Lee has made cameos in almost all of them, standing toe-to-toe with his big-screen pals, though not exactly on equal footing. Name? Stan Lee. Yeah, uh, nice try, buddy. No,
15: no, really, I'm Stan Lee.
2: Surprising to many of his fans is that although Stan created the characters, he never really owned them. Marvel did. Which is why, despite all the comic book sales and the TV shows and those big blockbuster movies, Stan found himself largely cut out of the profits. Now that you've seen all these characters that you created making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, but you're not getting any no. of that. Not really a dime. No,
3: no I don't, I don't uh, share in any of
2: that. But they're your characters.
3: Well, they're not my characters. I mean, they belong to the company. I, I was getting... It was my job to create them.
2: Does it make you angry? Does it frustrate you?
3: I try not to think about it. Yeah? I'm having too much fun with the rest of my life, and there's no point going back and saying, I should have done this, or I could have done that. You know, what does it gain you?
2: It was only after Stan sued Marvel in 2002 that the issue came to light.
3: This could be the next Spider-Man.
2: He settled for an undisclosed seven-figure amount. And Marvel did give Stan a title, Chairman Emeritus of Marvel Enterprises.
3: You're the most photographed superhero, well, in this office, anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he currently heads up POW Entertainment. POW yeah. standing for purveyors of like wonder. Win, and anymore, he's so far from out find of find ideas.
3: Eric, you never let us down. I think that's beautiful. Thank you very much, Stan. Yeah, let's just use that. Let's go with it, okay? Do you think you'll ever retire? Oh, no. no. No, that's a dirty word.
2: (laughs) Why is it a dirty word? Well, you know,
3: retire to do what? I'm doing what I want to do, so why would I want to retire from it?
2: How lucky can you be? Excelsior! (laughs) For all the villains out there roaming the galaxy, let's hope Stan Lee has a few more superpowers up his sleeve to protect us all when we need a good escape. Do you think, looking back now, that this is what you were born to do?
3: Probably. No, I really think I was born to be Errol Flynn, but I never quite made it. (laughs) Next.
6: And you guys are going to actually do cupcakes with bling?
1: Icing on the cake.
9: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: This cake was made for us by Ron Ben-Israel of New York City. And he's not the only master cake maker in town. Martha Teissner
4: takes us on a cake walk. <laughs> <laughs> they might as well have been a flock of flamingos loose in Manhattan. This is
13: Benny. Benny's
9: Hi, the owner boy. of City Cake. Hey,
4: but no, these visions in pink happen to be members of, get ready, the
5: Australian
4: cake decorating network on a three-day New York cake crawl.
5: Beautiful. Guy the big apple. Oh, mm. Mm.
4: You didn't know that New York City was a big deal in the cake world? Home of what's hot?
6: The latest trend right now is bling. Everything is bling. Everybody wants bling on their wedding cakes, on their sweet 16 cakes, and you guys are going to actually do cupcakes with bling, okay?
4: After eight hour days pursuing cake, they did make brief stops at a few New York City tourist landmarks, but prioritize the tourist sites, the bakeries, and, and cake places. <laughs> so, who needs the rockets when you can see a cakedom superstar? Awesome. Ron Ben Israel.
15: Anything can happen in my world of desserts.
4: Professionals and fanatical amateurs. They know him from the Food Network.
2: That flavor I'm not going to forget soon. Better.
4: For the first layer, I actually use Ben Israel little. spent three hours showing them how to make sugar paste roses. I'm applying the row of seven upside down. That look real.
16: Pinch, pinch, pinch.
4: And if one icon wasn't enough, the Australians also got cake designer to the stars, Alyssa Strauss.
9: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Anyway, okay.
4: The fact that 31 ladies and one guy came nearly 10,000 miles should tell you something about how large and small the cake world is thanks to the internet
0: three years ago i started making cupcake videos
4: elise strawn online did elise you know, posting this? in real time who's my cupcake, addiction?
0: Hi, my cupcake
4: addiction oh there you go that's me all the way
0: shut up we're like youtube friends
4: what would they have done without cell phone cameras what is it about cake and cookie decorators.
0: I've never met a sane cake decorator. They are all crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah.
4: Raewyn Reed teaches cake decorating. Vincent Goh is actually a pharmacist. Belinda Boylson, a physical therapist. Tell me the most astonishing cake you've ever done. If you know Lego Unikitty, it has two sides to the character. So there's a happy side and there's an angry side.
6: So, I just did a Harry Potter collaboration and I actually made a three foot tall Forks the Phoenix. Yes. I think he was sitting up on his tail with a boxing gloves and
0: an Australian flag on the board. It, it was a fabulous cake.
4: Okay, but before you cross off the Australian Cake Decorating <laughs> Network as a bunch of obsessive eccentrics, consider this. So, why do you do it? Because we
0: love it. It's yeah. the love yeah. it. We love it. Passion. There's nothing better than seeing someone's face when you've put their dreams, you know, into reality.
4: The hard part is knowing all along that soon
0: an incredible labor
4: of love will be gone. It's called having your cake and eating it too.
1: Ahead, remembering a hero. Does the bond between partners in law enforcement know any limit? Not in the case our Steve Hartman found.
17: Officer Ryan Davis is returning to the scene of the crime, reluctantly. It's getting very difficult right now. Last weekend, he and his partner were investigating an alarm at this grocery store in Canton, Ohio. It was the middle of the night, uh, and there were signs of a break-in.
12: We just started working our way through the grocery store.
15: 1272
8: Harrison
10: South for alarm. The roof door is uh, completely off. Time for. Shots fired! Shots fired! My partner's been
17: shot. Ryan's partner was a German shepherd named Jethro, and he was more than just a police dog. <laughs> the Davis family got Jethro at eight weeks. He grew up as both a family pet and a canine officer, every day seamlessly transitioning from pillow to police work and back again. Until last weekend, when he charged at that burglar and took three bullets.
1: I'm I'm here because he did what he did.
17: Ryan says the dog saved his life, but remarkably, he says he wishes it was the other way around. I would trade places with him in a heartbeat. Do you mean that? Absolutely, because I wouldn't have to sit here and and
1: suffer over the loss of him. He's left a hole that will never be filled. He gave his life for me.
17: It's hard to imagine owing such a debt with no way to pay it back. But this week, the city of Canton tried they filled their civic center, invited police officers from across the country, and honored Jethro on what would have been his third birthday. And as for the killer, police do have a suspect in custody, but that's of little consolation to Ryan, who says the only thing that will make this better is making certain his partner is never forgotten. So how do you want him remembered?
10: The one word that comes
1: to mind is unconditional. he was unconditionally loyal, loving,
17: supportive. He was, he was a hero. He was a hero, as is any officer who can be this devoted.
6: In those days, still to come. Would an actress imagine being at the age of Jean Kelly and still having roles? Forty and the door was closed. A visit with
1: actress Leslie Caron. Here
16: we go. We're gonna mop. We're gonna. And mop, later, mop, and we're gonna
1: Bill Geist.
9: And they're unbreakable. Let me tell you.
1: And a real joy.
9: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our
10: love is here to stay.
4: It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood.
1: Jean Kelly memorably serenaded Leslie Caron in the classic motion picture An American in Paris. And movie lovers continue to sing her praises to this day. Jane Pauley has our Sunday profile.
6: 65 years ago, Leslie Caron was 19 and on the cusp of stardom. Her screen debut, An American in Paris with Gene Kelly, was Best Picture in 1951. What's your favorite dance routine from American in Paris?
7: Uh, I think in the big ballet, I enjoyed the Toulouse-Lautrec one, Can Can. What about the chair? (gasps) Mm. (laughs) God help me.
6: (laughs) I couldn't believe that. This is 1951. Oh,
7: censorship. Everything was too bawdy, too sexy. The lady from the censorship bureau came and saw it and said, this won't do. I said, what can I do with a chair? What's, what's... (laughs) Too sexy. So I had to do it
6: again and tone it down. It's still pretty sexy. She'd been discovered at 16 at the Ballet des Champs-Élysées in Paris by Jean Kelly. The night Jean Kelly came
7: to the theater and saw me dance, I wasn't supposed to be on the stage. The dancer who was picked was sick, so I did the part. What was it about that young girl? I think good luck happens to a lot of people all the time, repeatedly. I think the important thing is to recognize good luck and to make good use of it. You know, I wasn't beautiful <laughs> at all. No, no, Excuse no, no. me. No, I wasn't. Let's say I pretended then.
9: You're the only things I love.
6: But she acted that part.
9: I know you love me too.
6: With tender charm.
9: Why, you poor darlings, you're trembling.
6: As an orphaned ingenue beguiling a lonely older man, earning the first of two Oscar nominations in Lily. And another orphaned ingenue beguiling an even older Fred Astaire in Daddy Long Legs. It's strange
7: because now you think twice about having an older man Play around with a young girl.
6: People weren't sensitive to that at no, all. No, no, no. Oh, yes, Aunt, I understand. We
7: don't marry, is that it? Instead of getting married at once, it sometimes happens we get married at
6: last. In Gigi, thank heaven for little girls. They grow up every day in the most beautiful way. A teenage schoolgirl is being prepared for a life. As a courtesan. As a courtesan, yeah. But instead of becoming a kept woman, Gigi finds true
10: love. Give me the infinite joy of bestowing on me Gigi's hand in marriage.
6: Gigi would go on to win nine Academy Awards, and Leslie Caron was a bona fide Hollywood star. But she no longer lived in Hollywood. Following the second of three husbands, Peter Hall director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, to London.
1: Hello, Leslie, Peter.
6: Hello, Tom. Hello, Charles. She appeared on CBS's Person to Person with Charles Collingwood in 1959.
11: Leslie, does this mean that you finally put roots down here in London?
6: My roots are wherever my husband and children are, really. Your film character, the ingenue, is associated with all these older men. In your life, you didn't choose older men. Hmm, no. I chose
7: talented men. Peter Hall, my husband, he was just a beginner when I met him. He had the capacity of being a great man of the theater. I could see that.
6: What do you think attracted him to you? Because he buried the things that we most loved about you, the stage, the dance, the (sighs) film, and I
7: forgive him, because it was, you know, his background. In his milieu, women stayed in the home and sent off the children to school. And that's what he expected of a wife. Ah,
1: the children.
6: Don't you wish you could have a, a chance to, to yes. do it again now? Yes. 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 Yeah. I would say, now look here. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah,
7: different times. And it took a very long time for women to say, look here, I'm me. I exist.
6: My life has to be fulfilled too. In those days, would an actress imagine being at the age of Jean Kelly or Fred Astaire and still having, no way, <laughs> roles? 40 and the door was closed. But today, Doors seem to be opening for 80-something stars. I think it's
7: the English who changed everything, with the Maggie Smiths and the Judy Dentures, those wonderful actresses. Suddenly the public said, Hey, wait a minute, I prefer looking at those ladies who have experience and wits and wisdom. Why
6: can't you be one of those? I am going to be. In fact, in 2007, she earned an Emmy for her guest appearance on Law & Order SVU. Why are
3: you lying? You know
16: it's true, Marty! You swore you wouldn't say anything! You
7: grabbed that kitchen knife from the counter. You made me pull down my pants and you raped me!
6: That was an astonishing piece of acting. Thank you. There's a poignant line in your memoir of some several years ago. The best years of my life are over? No, 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 no. You disagree with yourself now? Yes, yes, yes. You would like to argue with the author of your memoir? Um, yeah. (laughs) If I wrote that, I... You did. Yeah, it's not true. Hand me that book. (laughs) I've circled it. The best part of my life is over. Now is the time to reflect.
7: Okay, and I reflect
6: that it's not (laughs) over. life coming full circle, this past week she came to New York to see a play, the hit Broadway musical, An American in Paris, starring Leanne Cope as Lees, the role Leslie Caron created.
7: Not many people get the kind of incredible gift that you and I were given.
16: Mm-hmm. It's true. It does feel like Plucked, a gift.
7: and there you are, on a silver platter. This magnificent part in a grand production.
6: What did you think when Leanne, yes. in the role that you created in the movie, in the movie, when Leanne makes her first entrance? What did you think? She just
7: bursts forward like a little jewel, like beauty, charm modesty you wouldn't expect that in somebody who plays the lead and you quite understand that he falls in love with her
6: she really does it beautifully were you ever coming in and out of me her me her i could see the shadow
7: of me way back yes the memory of what i was like
6: and maybe the audience tuesday night could too
7: I'm having a wonderful time. I really relish it.
0: Joy has never run a business. Next. There's nothing like it out there.
1: A mop that's a cause for joy.
9: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: Time for an ode to Joy. Joy Mangano, that is, the inspiration for a movie that's been cleaning up at the box office. Bill Geist has her story.
8: No romance, no explosions, and no outer space. Joy is a movie about a mop but not just any mob. The miracle mob.
0: Joy has never run a business. Oh. There's nothing like it out there.
8: The title character is played miraculously by Jennifer Lawrence.
9: This is the only idea that I have right now, and I think it has a chance to change all of our lives. Jennifer Lawrence in Joy.
8: Who this past week received Charlotte both an Oscar Reynolds nomination. Jennifer Lawrence, Joy. <laughs> And a Best Actress Award at the Golden Globe, where she thanks someone special.
13: Joy Mangano, thank you for your story. Thank you for giving so much.
10: Right to your right. Right to your right. Right.
8: Joy Mangano is the real life joy. I will fight for it. Whose life story is told in this mostly true modern-day Cinderella tale. In America, everyday people make what they will of them.
16: I get a phone call and they say, we're calling you because we are gonna make a movie about your life story. Wow. And shortly thereafter, they said, David O. Russell is on the phone to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is really happening. Right, when is a mop the star of a movie?
8: Esteemed filmmaker David O. Russell directed.
2: I knew the first thing that struck me about the story was the unlikeliness of it. It
1: was not a flashy story.
0: We got here from hard work, patience, and humility. The
1: fact that we did something about an ordinary person from an ordinary town. I
0: have real ambitions
13: and real ideas.
1: Who created ordinary items that people love. And it's about her soul and about her empowerment. Um, that, was a, that was the dare we took. In
8: 1990, Joy was a down-and-out Long Island single mother raising three kids. She scrounged some seed money and began making mops in her father's garage.
9: Hi, would you like to try a new mop? Yeah. It's self-ringing. You can remove
0: the mop head, throw it in the washing machine. No germs.
8: As seen in the movie, Joy tried to sell her mops everywhere imaginable.
0: There is a business that wants to sell
13: my products on television.
8: She finally got a shopping network executive at QVC, played by Bradley Cooper, interested in selling her mops on TV.
15: What do you think you're doing?
8: But the network didn't want Joy to sell them.
15: It should be me.
10: We don't have regular people. We have celebrities who spokesmodels do the selling.
0: I told you this. Who showed you the mop? Who sold it to you? Who taught you how to use it? And who convinced you that it was great after you thought it was worthless?
1: Three, two. Okay, godspeed. Good luck. Here we go.
8: She convinced QVC to put her on the air. And Joy sold 18,000 mops in 20 minutes. The rest is TV shopping history. Was that really the breakthrough moment?
16: Unequivocally. Stay right there, don't move. But
8: wait, there's more.
16: This is is the hottest product of 2003, you guys.
8: Somehow Joy seems to know what we need before we do.
16: My little steamer is 700 watts of power.
8: Joy holds more than 100 patents on helpful household items.
16: And they're unbreakable, let me tell you.
8: And in 2000, she introduced the huggable hanger.
16: Everybody said, oh, a hanger is a hanger is a hanger. Yeah. Not the case. Let's open a closet here. I have it spread out. But watch what can happen. We can take all these hangers, right? Your closet looks pristine. And you'll feel so good every day when you open your closet. I will. Give Huggable Hangers as a gift.
8: She's sold 700 million Huggable Hangers.
16: It's all exciting.
8: These days, Joy Mangano is a star.
16: Joy, right down here,
8: are you in awe a little bit of what's happened? I mean, you're, you're in a two-bedroom house. How many bedrooms do you have in this house?
16: Um, 15. Here we go, we're gonna mop. We're gonna and
8: despite mop, her great success, you table. don't do much mopping anymore.
16: Oh, I do. Look at this.
8: She can't stop you mopping heaven. and selling.
16: Look at that, it rings itself out. This is mop heaven, okay? You're
8: gonna the be latest James miracle? Boom! Is a new and improved miracle mop. Joy sold nearly a quarter million of them during a 24-hour marathon on the HSN channel this month. Hi,
1: Joy Mangano, it's David O. Russell. Oh, come uh, on! on.
8: <laughs> there was one special customer. Hey, but Let's get down to business. I want to buy some mop. Because...
16: I was thoroughly shocked, and he was so cute. He's like, I want 13, because 13's my lucky number. And I know that's true. Yeah.
8: And just last weekend, she launched a full line of her products in stores.
16: You're very inspirational for anything in life. It warms my heart more than anything when somebody comes up to me and says, You inspired me to do this.
9: You're an amazing woman.
16: Thank you. For me personally, I feel even more pressure to do more. Thank you. Joy and her
8: amazing miracle mop.
9: Enjoy. Enjoy your success.
8: Still working their magic.
1: Coming up, farewell. It happened this past week. The death from cancer of singer-songwriter David Bowie at age 69. Bill Flanagan offers this appreciation.
10: I was lucky enough to work with David Bowie on several TV projects. He was a great collaborator, gracious, witty, and generous. David was also a cheerleader and a champion for other artists. I don't think he had a jealous bone in his body. That was David the Man. Bowie the Musician was the most influential figure to appear in rock music after the 1960s.
12: This is ground control
10: to mange your tongue. Without Bowie, there would be no Lady Gaga or Nirvana, no U2 or Madonna. Oh, we be Bowie appeared when the standard for rock and roll credibility was authenticity. Musicians were expected to sing their diaries, to perform in the same jeans they wore off stage. Bowie did not value authenticity one bit. He knew that as soon as a performer stepped into the spotlight, he was in theater. He denied his songs were about himself. Like an actor, he moved from role to role. But through all the changes, something remarkable occurred. The audience found sincere, empathetic, and at times universal emotion in the music of this quick change artist. After 9 11, Bowie opened the concert for New York City with a fragile solo version of Simon and Garfunkel's America. I've come to look for America. On tour in 2004, but we had emergency heart surgery. After that, he stopped playing concerts and giving interviews. Then on January 8th, 2013, his 66th birthday, he surprised the world by releasing new music.
15: Where are we now, where are we now?
10: It was like getting a letter from a long lost friend.
15: Look up here, I'm in heaven.
10: This January 8th, he gave us the wonderful Black Star. I've got scars Two days later, David Bowie was gone. Everybody
0: knows me
10: now. There's a new Bowie musical running off Broadway. He worked on the book and music in his last year. Lazarus is the story of an alien, the man who fell to earth 40 years later, who's been living in seclusion in a penthouse above Manhattan, waiting to die. Yeah. At the end, he makes a masking tape rocket ship, lies down in it like a coffin, and dreams he is returning home as his soul leaves his body. It was his last surprise. David Bowie was an autobiographical writer after all.
1: I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio.
0: Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you. But all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before. Or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next.